Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. And welcome back to Major League Baseball. The 2022 edition uh, is back for the heater uh, and for Major League Baseball. And uh, on the Wednesday that the deal was uh, clinched and made publicly announced, I think I had John Fogarty center field on repeat for about an hour uh, on the uh, uh, the Alexa. So it's nice to finally... Today we will do a very brief talk about the CBA that was signed and then we don't have to talk CBA for five years. I'm very excited about that and can talk about the game itself and the fact that uh, uh, I saw uh, Friday is a spring training game. First one that's up. Uh, and so we have baseball here, which means spring is here, and that means the weather has got to get its act in, uh, act in order uh, so we can get ready for all those good things. Uh, with me, as always, is uh, Corey Peeper as we... Uh, again, finally get to talk uh, 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 some baseball and massive signings and trades in the offseason uh, baseball blitzkrieg 2.0. Uh, we have a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, it's been all time. You you were always the optimist that it would get done before the deadline. I was always the pessimist it didn't. I feel like we were both half right. It did not make the deadline. It did get done in the just afterwards, but it's good to actually talk baseball. We talked a little fantasy in the offseason. We talked a little baseball movies. But I prefer to talk real baseball, and it's great to be back. You know, I, I, it's interesting to me that uh, we'll give our brief thoughts on the on the CBA. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you, I'm not forgetting anything right now. Just so you know, I'll come back to that. Uh, but briefly on, on the CBA, I, again, the... The, the nice thing about it is, or what was expected, and all along, I'm, I'm still going to say I was right. Uh, I was partially wrong, but but mostly right, and I'll go with it. Uh, and most arguments in this house, I'll take that. Uh, but uh, they had to take it to the precipice. It had to go to the 11th hour. It had to go, uh, this time they took it beyond that. And, and you saw the, the, the public perception, the public uh, was, the, the when the deal fell through, the last time, you had enough people starting to say, "That's it. I'm walk- I'm not watching anymore." Like people that were were done, and also it was going to turn on the players if something didn't happen here. Like it was, if it went any further, it would have caused damage to the game, uh, and it they took it again to the very brink of everything, right to the edge of the cliff. Uh, and no, it shouldn't have taken this. Uh, but they got the deal done when most people were, because of, they know the way baseball acts from owners to players, no one was actually confident. If you would have pulled uh, after the deal fell through there, if you actually thought, will we still get 162 games in? What, maybe 20% at most would have felt? So the fact that we only lost a one-week delay uh, to the season and an easy way of making those games up, we're getting the 162, it's all there, uh, What's nice is, too, because there's the offseason that still happened, you can quickly run right into everything, and then it's all in the past. Uh, and so that's uh, been been a wonderful thing. So can you break down, again, what was it that was signed? What's the new deal uh, that baseball now has for, for five years? 
Ooh, I can. It's going to give me a second to pull it up here. So they both, as with all good negotiations, the CBA that MLB and the Players Association signed, they both had to make concessions, which is exactly what you want, actually. You don't want... Uh, for the longest time, it seemed like the players were not going to give on anything, and be, uh, that's what held it up for a while. But now we're back here. They both gave in, so there's no more interleague play uh, or, like, rotating interleague play. So you play – there's 42 games that are interleague games, but it's against the same teams all the time. So that's part of it. There's no more 163rd game, like a tiebreaker. That's no longer going to happen. You're uh, going football style for that. Yep. Uh, there's more games. They're going to start trying to spread the game, actually, which they should be doing. We saw how popular the Field of Dreams games was. There's talk about games in Puerto Rico and Paris – the trade deadline moved to end of July, I think. July 28th to August 3rd. It's no longer the end of July. Now it's July 28th to August 3rd. Probably uh, depending upon if they want a weekend or however they yeah, want I'm it sure to it end. has to do with just the date. But now it's that. There's no set date anymore. It's just towards the end of July. Uh, there's a new way that they're going to set up a draft lottery so that it's not necessarily as beneficial to tank, kind of like the NBA does. Um, what else we got here? Oh, the Midland, the minor leagues, or yeah, the minor leagues have a minimum salary and it's higher than it used to be. That bumps up. So anytime we can pay the minor leagues, I'm all about that. There's new rules on how the waivers works. And then did we set an international draft? I don't remember if that was a that's, big holdup for the end. Did we set an international one, draft? I think there's still a year to look into it, uh, but nothing has been decided yet. Uh, uh, but looking into how that might uh, potentially work. And then. Next year, so not 2022's baseball season, 2023's baseball season, there's no shifting. That will be eliminated. Must keep two players on each side of second base. The baseball bags themselves will get larger. The actual bags will get larger just for player safety. And the pitch clock will be instituted, I believe, in 2022. Now, there's some things where I was unclear as to part of this, like – are we bet? I know that we'd said that we were getting rid of the seven inning double headers, and then there was going to be no runner on second. But as of yesterday, there was talk again of a runner on second. Are we back to runner on second? I think I, I'm wondering if some of this has to do with uh, uh, watching uh, pitcher uh, usage at the beginning of the season uh, with a shorter uh, spring training. So that's why they're talking about the possibilities of an expanded roster, like maybe in the first month. That hasn't been decided yet, but I know that's a possibility. Uh, so they can uh, watch, uh, again, uh, for pitcher injuries and try to uh, prevention on that side of things. This might be another one of those, too. Uh, I doubt that one happens, though. Uh, there's so much of a, a full-on no one wants it. Uh, so hopefully that stays the way. But uh, keep Manfred out of that one, and maybe we got a shot. Uh, expanded playoffs, that'll happen. 12 teams will make the playoffs this year already. I would go into the entire how that's going to lay out, but I don't have it in front of me right now, and I don't remember it. So when we get close to the playoffs, we'll worry about that we'll one. Break, we'll break down the, the new playoff format when we get there, absolutely. Uh, the service time, that, that was a big deal, obviously. Now it's based around like, how you finish in rookie. If the year voting hit takes a part in it, you can't be optioned to the minors more than five times in one season, I believe is the rule now, and you only get a certain amount of bonus money. So that, held time, that was a big deal in the last one. The competitive balance was the biggest issue because that's money. And so uh, the lowest number went from 210 all the way up to 230. And the higher thresholds, I think, are every 20 million? Every 20. 20. Yep, 20 million. 
and there's four levels of them. I don't remember the penalty you pay, but it goes but all the way up to two ninety. The fourth one you can call the Cohen tax. Uh, that's exactly what the players are calling it too. Uh, it's uh, for that. Uh, that was the biggest concession that the owners got in this. Uh, that almost uh, the players. The fascinating one with this is the executive uh, committee was unanimous in not voting for this. It was it was uh, eight members on that committee for the players. All eight voted against it, but when they went to the full uh, union reps, uh, it still carried because uh, the, the concern was how that impacts the uh, the largest team for getting the bigger salaries uh, within it. Uh, but uh, it's still enough where they got that concession. Players are, are getting massive. The the me the, the biggest thing here is the the lowest. What is you a thirty percent increase in minimum salary? Uh, from there, there's now an uh, a bonus pool, bonus pool uh, for yeah. the for like the pre arbitration uh, players within it. So it they to their credit, they took care of their their lowest paid uh, earners in the union. Now that was a big big difference in this CBA, uh, and I think that's what also kept everyone united uh, in the, the negotiations for this. I think what was surprising was that there was no so we had the competitive balance tax on the top. There was always a lot of talk of. Do we set a minimum salary? What's the minimum salary? That did not get set. Teams can still go as low as they really want to. We'll talk about that here in this first one uh, as well. Uh, it was going to be the owners offered uh, a salary floor, but it was going to have to be with a lower uh, top, uh, and the players didn't want that. Uh, and so they it, uh, the compromise ended up being a higher uh, minimum salary uh, and additional uh, bonus pool uh, for the, the pre-R players. Again, overall, I think this was a this was a win uh, across the board. Uh, the players, I think, got considerably more than what was there in the last CBA. There really shouldn't be any animosity like left over when it comes time for for the next one. That was the, there was a lot of talk about how players were very unhappy with how the last CBA went, and they were trying to right a lot of wrongs in this one. I think to, almost to the point. That they lost view of, of everything uh, and the process too, but again, this was a, a very good one for the the, the players uh, across the board. Uh, and now we can move on to uh, to other things. Again, this is going to be a lasting impact as we look at uh, the rule changes that will be coming in another year, uh, and also how the rules are are. Uh, there's now a new committee that helps to decide that and way to more streamline that process. So. Uh, we'll see what, what happens with all of that. But bottom line for right now for baseball fans is baseball is back. Uh, and we have a massive uh, shortened uh, offseason 2.0 that has been uh, been going on here. Uh, and we'll break that down as people are reporting to uh, uh, to spring, uh, spring ta- training camps. Uh, and so props to anyone who can put together a massive uh, travel schedule that's going to involve staying at a place for a, a full month on like maybe three days' notice. Uh, so it's going to be a, a wild one across the board, but it's back, and we're going to talk injuries, signings, and trades. And now that we're actually talking baseball, I will officially kick us off with, as always, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by <laughs> River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. It is almost spring for the popcorn wagon as well, uh, and uh, kind of doing some spring training yourselves, getting things uh, ready to go. Obviously, it's uh, Wisconsin spring uh, dependent, uh, but how, how goes the uh, uh, the new season preparations? So it's it's weather dependent, but and we're going to be, so after at the end of the podcast, I'm sure I'll mention it, but both of us will be gone this upcoming week for Alabama, so probably no podcast for a while here. 
But when we get back, depending on what the weather's like, you mentioned it's really nice outside, at least this week. I haven't seen next week, but it's supposed to be really nice in Wisconsin this week. Dry out the ground a little bit, get the wagon out. Ideally, we're open pretty early in April. We'll see. Uh, that's a lot of depending on the weather. Keep checking the Facebook page. We did mention on the Facebook page that no ice cream this year. The Schwann's company has their own shortages, which leads to shortages for us. And it's just not worth it for us to struggle and fight with that. We have supply chain issues, less many businesses do right now. So that won't be there this year. We're going to just focus on the popcorn. And that's by far our most popular product anyway. So I don't think there's going to be too many complaints. It'll be a, a nice just to get out uh, get out again. And right now, I wore shorts and sandals for the first time uh, uh, since uh, last... Uh, you're a Florida guy. And, uh, I thought yours was like 90. It was, uh, I, I still think I shocked my relatives more with, with that one. Is saying it's 55 degrees, and I busted out the shorts and sandals and was wandering around outside. So braver than me even, man. That sun felt pretty nice today. Uh, so I'll, I'll gladly uh, take it, and the more uh, warmth that is coming with it. But as we look into uh, and dive into the uh, the fun, uh, I know we're going to talk injury signings and trades, uh, but very briefly, it, it almost gets lost on this because we had to deal with the full CBA uh, side of things. Uh, but this is also the first year uh, where it's a normal uh, spring, summer, like games. Like there's no res- uh, for the most part, there's no restrictions. Uh, you're going to be able to go to games. There's tailgating. There's uh, getting a chance to be in, in, in attendance. I think we're looking at a uh, understanding COVID still happening. So I mean that when I say still a, a post-COVID world. That's kind of what we're moving into. Uh, and it's looking that way for the, the sport uh, as well and for the fan base as well. So this is the first time you can really go and enjoy all those things in the same type of manner that you used to. And uh, I already have uh, trips lined up in April for going to uh, to Wrigley, as well as uh, visiting family in Florida in April to get back to the uh, my old stomping grounds of the Trop. Uh, it's going to be nice to actually see games in person again. Yeah, mostly gone. The uh, correct. Did you see some of the report? Like, if you are an unvaccinated player in New York City. So yep. Yankees, Mets players get your vaccine because otherwise you're not playing. Or in the same thing, if you're an unvaccinated player, you don't get to cross that border into Canada. So it's you can ask still, Kevin Durant his thoughts on <laughs> on, on that. I yeah, I we'll see. I I know I'm not here to preach about the vaccine, but uh, you know, I would love to see everybody play. I hope everybody's able to play. I don't want to sit. And, like you mentioned, Brooklyn has their own issues with people not getting the vaccine in NBA. So. I hope everybody gets it just so we can watch baseball and see everybody play. It's it's good. It seems like we've reached a point where maybe just other things have taken the news from COVID, but we don't seem to be hearing about COVID right now, and and I'm happy about that too. Like it's it's good to move on and get back to normal. Well, speaking of normal, let's talk normal uh, uh, baseball podcast. We have uh, actual signings and trades and spring training injuries. As you think of your fantasy team, where if you're getting ready for fantasy drafts, uh, these this is the time of year to monitor uh, various activities. So if you were planning on making a first-round pick on Fernando Tatis or a very early first-round pick on Fernando Tatis, you might want to hold off on that. Uh, three months to a wrist injury. Uh, and I guess in some ways, at least, you get worried about injury issues when we think of his shoulder, but he's missed a lot of games uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, but this isn't injury-prone as far as on the field goes. This is an off-field injury, which, again, I don't know if that makes you feel better or not uh, with having a motorcycle 
uh, accident. I mean, the first question that pops in my mind is, why are you doing that in the first place? You have a, uh, a life-altering, multi-generation-altering uh, <laughs> contract and financial uh, commitment here that those off-the-field injuries can cause risk to that as well as like and you have a team that's uh, heavily invested in you that once you there on the field uh at least they're they're handling it pretty well from the sounds of it uh, and just saying like, it looks like this is his last time uh uh on the the motorcycle uh so they can move on with that but again you're talking now uh first half of the season gone uh from what you were hoping to be your franchise player yeah minimum three months it sounds like i'd have last i knew they were discussing surgery he had said i know He's apparently not a huge fan of surgery, as we know from his shoulder thing, so he doesn't want to get it. Preller, I don't know if he's going to try to convince him to get it, but it sounds like it's going to be a while. So you're talking real baseball. It sucks for the Padres. They do have, I mentioned before, they have a very highly regarded shortstop prospect, and now Tatis wasn't necessarily going to play shortstop. He could have played the out. He was playing the outfield, remember, when we last saw him, and maybe Haseon Kim plays more or C.J. Abrams, but... And in fantasy-wise, yeah, he went from first, second pick overall. Now you got to think, okay, if I'm missing three months, that's, that's that is he better than George Springer, who goes, like, in the fifth round? I don't know. Like, that type of a player. So when he plays, he's awesome. He's got – he's still just 23. He's got a long future ahead of him. But it this year could be kind of a downer. And so, you know, we talk about Ronald Acuna because we're going to transition to that because they're kind of the same, like, young, flashy skill set. Now, Acuna, it sounds like he's – pretty much on schedule and we last saw him tear his ACL last was it June or is pretty early in the year so it sounds like at least by May he should be playing maybe it's DHing more than outfield at least right away maybe he doesn't steal bases right away while his kneel recovers but at this point I have he should be playing before Fernando Tatis so you know, back end back end if you're talking fantasy back end first round is still probably in the realm of possibilities if you miss a month that's if that's all he misses, you take that out of a month out of him and be fine with it. If it's a little more than that, you hope not. But uh, injuries can happen to anyone. So well, and that one is the uh, uh, with 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 him. Thanks to the uh, the CBA, you have the NLDH, uh, and if that allows him to still hit, you're not going to get the stolen base production until maybe closer to the midway point. But then I think you'll see him back at at full speed that way, maybe it comes sooner. Uh, but this way you still keep that bat in the lineup, which makes that uh, what what he may have missed for a month, now maybe he doesn't miss uh, there uh, within it. Maybe he's uh, going to be content to uh, keep the, the some singles that would otherwise be doubles or doubles that would otherwise be triples. Uh, that he's not going to go full throttle early on, but you're still going to keep that bat in the lineup, uh, and that's a, a very, very good thing. Uh uh, the other one for injury, like major injury concerns or question marks, uh, coming out of St. Louis uh, today, Jack Flaherty uh, undergoing a, a shoulder evaluation. And again, this is the same problematic uh, shoulder that he's had uh, the issues with. Again, when he's on the field, he's dominant. Uh, but that the, the shoulder flare-ups, uh, he would be 100% on my no-draft list uh, at, at this point. It's just too too risky. Uh, with it with it being that way versus Tatis is the randomness of it, uh, but for for Jack Flaherty I just I wouldn't bank on actually getting innings from him. Nope. I at this point he's less likely to give me innings than Justin Verlander and even like he's more in the Noah Syndergaard territory at this point to me. Like yep. I don't know yep. exactly what to trust out of Jack Flaherty. I've never been a huge fan of. I'm not, it's not that I'm not a big fan of Jack Flaherty. I just 
I don't trust it. I, we can wrap Zach Allen into that one too. He also yep. has shoulder bursitis. I don't trust Zach Allen's shoulder. I think that Zach Allen at some day is going to need some Tommy John surgery in there. It seems like he's just delaying the inevitable, almost to Nelson Lamet like. Uh, the only other pitcher we have with a shoulder injury is Zach Wheeler. That one, it sounds that one I have a lot more faith in. It sounds like his is kind of uh, he got started and maybe he's. I know right now he's got a flu. There's a flu report too, but it sounds like his is more just a little bit behind schedule. Not. I've seen Zach Wheeler pitch those innings. I know Zach Wheeler can do that. I have never really seen Zach Allen or, you know, even Jack Flaherty has not pitched that many innings. So I have a lot more concerns about them than I do for Zach Wheeler. Can we talk about the guy that really should go to, to Vegas at this point? The one who should be hurt but isn't hurt? Yeah. The And because of all, it got lost in the shuffle of the, from NFL free agency to uh, the reports of, of the all the signings and the and the craziness of the offseason. And it just became a footnote when, like, this was a massive story. You have a guy that's uh, in a car that all of a sudden has something speeding at him and in split seconds gets T-boned, and the car rolls three times. He has to kick out the, win- uh, the, the window in order to get out of the car, but there isn't one broken bone in the whole thing. Pete Alonzo. Uh, star first baseman for the New York Mets, uh, horrific car crash, uh, something where you would expect, you hear this, you expect major injuries from. He walked away from this. Uh, and absolutely uh, incredible uh, and you know, very thankful for, for him. For, the, for that to be the result of everything you just heard uh, is absolutely amazing. Yeah, we were, we were talking about it before, and he was crediting Ford, and then you're like, wow. Ford, get on this. Get this man a get this man That's a sponsorship, a sponsorship waiting to happen. Let him talk about it on the next twenty car commercials as he's a star in the biggest market in the world. So yeah, could you know, great great for Pete Alonzo. Would have sucked for baseball. You hear about car accidents, unfortunately, a lot of times in the Dominican Republic taking ooh, what was the name of this like a massive prospect that the Cardinals had? Tavares. Oscar Tavares. Yeah. And he died down there. So it's always good to have a good news. As, I guess as good a news as you can have when a car accident doesn't injure a player. So, the, the best news you could have out of that exact scenario, yep. uh, and that pretty much, other than uh, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up any of the major early uh, injury news. We'll keep you posted as we move forward on uh, the different types of uh, of injuries that can uh, uh, take place during spring training. Uh, but let's get into the signings and trades. We have the. Uh, as soon as the the lockout lifted, uh, the massive signings taking place, and we have some uh, more of a major on the trade market than we have on the signings market. We're still waiting for a lot of uh, key players yet, a lot of big names. There's uh, some nine-figure contracts that are still going to be signed this spring. But the very first deal that took place uh, uh, after the lockout lifted was Carlos uh, uh, Rodon to the Giants, two years, $44 million. Uh Definitely more than what I anticipated him getting uh, uh, this offseason, but the the promise of the of what could be if everything aligned for a year is always tantalizing. And then I was skeptical of him overall, but when a team like the Giants signs anyone, I'm more intrigued by them as a result because of what they've done with their their pitching lab uh, outside of the Rays on the on the East Coast. You're talking West Coast. You want to know pitching? You go to San Francisco, and this one intrigues me. Yeah, it's the question was always going to be the arm, right? Because that's all the pedigree and all the promise. It did come together finally last season. On a per inning basis, he's basically Corbin Burns last year: 133 innings, 185 strikeouts, 237 ERA, .96 WHIP. Remember, he started throwing harder, so his fastball jumped like two and a half miles an hour. And suddenly, he was just dominant. 
But then for him, those shoulder injuries roared their head again, and he missed most of August. September, he was back. He wasn't throwing as fast again, but he still pitched to like a three ERA, so effective. And you mentioned it. There's not really a better landing spot than San Francisco because you mentioned they have pitching development and they have a park to pitch it in. So two years, $44 million, it's it's not unbearable because it's not a long-term deal. It's not a long-term deal, so it's not a huge risk. Once again, though, 140 innings probably is a cap for him, but those 140 innings can be really, really effective. So I actually kind of like I like this deal. I think it's a good signing. For 2022, who are you buying, Carlos Rodon or Kevin Gaussman? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, probably Gaussman still. Just because I trust, once again, I, per inning, I will take Carlos Rodon. I will trust Carlos. I'll trust Kevin Gaussman to throw more innings. I suppose it depends what you're looking for. If you're yep. looking for W's, uh, if that's a big uh, stat you're looking for and, and an ERA and other uh, stats that aren't going to hurt you, uh, then Gaussman. Because uh, you, you that offense in Toronto mm-hmm. is what makes that a really great fit. But he's not going to put up the same San Francisco numbers. Now, Rodon has a chance to re- replicate those numbers. He already did it with the White Sox. Uh, there within you put him in the San Francisco park and what they're doing. Uh, I like him to. I would have been skept, skeptical of him repeating last year's numbers, signing almost anywhere else. Here, I would actually buy him repeating those numbers. I think two thirty-seven might be a little low, but like if you told me he pitched three, three ERA, I think that's that's certainly doable. And I think Gaussman's more of a he's more of a mid-three ERA guy, which I'm not. Crapping on Kevin Gaussman. I think he's really good. And like you said, yep. and for Toronto, who we're going to talk about too here, like their pitching staff got even better. So, you know, he's going to be just fine. And I think Carlos Rodon probably slots in right behind Logan Webb as far as the number two starter out in San Francisco. And he'll pitch well there. Now, the one difference I would say we probably don't take into account enough is the fact the AL Central, where the White Sox played, had some really, really lousy offenses. Cleveland's yep. terrible. Uh, the Twins weren't very good last year. Kansas City wasn't good, and Detroit wasn't very good. Now you get to play. Now you get to face the Dodgers and the Padres, even if it's lessened. And so those are a little better, but that's hard to predict. And then a better park uh, to try to mm-hmm. counterbalance it. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and what's most interesting to me uh, isn't the the player, but is the belief in the team who signed him. Uh, that's what definitely has me more uh, intrigued with that one. We'll switch to the Jays since we were talking about the combination there. Uh, you say Kikuchi, uh, who I overall he he bottomed out the, uh, bottomed out the last half, second half of the year, uh, but first half was was very good, and, and the stuff is still there, which is what makes it promising. Uh, he signed with uh, an excellent team as far as again, sometimes pitchers can get in their own heads, uh, and I think with Seattle. There wasn't a lot of margin for error with that offense. Uh, and so when things went bad, uh, it went bad or the more of the narrow margin, like putting more pressure on yourself than you should going to the to the Blue Jays. Uh, you have an offense that can pick you up. Uh, you're not expected to be the guy. Uh, I think that's going to help him where I think he's a high upside uh, pick for what his uh, stuff can still be. He's not going to replace uh, your boy uh, from over there, uh, but uh, he can he can be a very – can still be an above-average pitcher for him. He doesn't have to. That that's Kevin Gaussman's job, right? Like yep. that's what they signed Kevin Gaussman for. So Kikuchi, like you said, he was he was rolling along. They did the foreign substance crackdown. He fell off a cliff. I don't know. It could be a coincidence. I don't know. When he is going well, he's great at induce. He gets a bunch of ground balls. But his problem is when people hit the ball against him, they hammer it. So he was 
dead bottom percentile in the league in average exit velocity, bottom three in hard hit rate, bottom eight in barrel percentage. Now, all that being said, three years, $36 million for a guy who's on paper the number five starter because Gaussman, Barrios, Ryu, Manoa, Kikuchi, like, there's not many number five starters in the league who are going to pitch to the way that I think you say Kikuchi can do. Plus, we talk about innings, right? I know Jose Barrios can eat innings. I know Kevin Gaussman, Ryu, and Kikuchi will eat innings. I don't know about Alec Manoa yet, but he's built like a guy who should be able to eat innings. So that team, if they stay healthy, they should have a lot of those innings accounted for. He's an arm that I'd be looking at uh, late in uh, uh, in fantasy. Where again, you think of a number five starter, what you're going up against. You have that offense. There's there's a 15 game winner upside uh, with with him there. Again, there's he could uh, be uh, out of the the rotation. Uh, by the end of the year, that's the floor, right? Not when you're looking at that. That's the floor. Uh, but I, I don't would think just it's figure there. it out. Yeah, Nate Pearson would just figure it out. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But again, a good depth signing for the Jays with uh, some uh, uh, some fantasy uh, upside there as well. Uh, you'll hear me inter- intersperse that a little bit more uh, this year, at least try to. As I uh, I'm going to dabble my first time into fantasy. I got you in. You're in our, our league. I sorry, I forgot to tell you that. I there's a guy who dropped Breaking out, news. so Breaking I got news. you in the league. I have to. I'll get your email later on. So I am uh, going to be in, in two leagues uh, this year and get get a chance to try my uh, first uh, uh, first crack at uh, from drafting and uh, and going whoever Dan drafts so. just automatically draft them because they'll be amazing. I'm going to sprinkle that fantasy championship yeah. uh, ma- magic dust on that and uh, see what we turn that into. And uh, as long as it's uh, some obscure signing that moves me at least one point ahead of Corey uh, for the end of the year, I'll be very happy to keep my uh, tradition going. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about other good vibes, and that would be Clayton Kershaw returning to the Dodgers. It was always so one year, seventeen million plus the incentives. That's basically what he turned down on the qualifying offer. Maybe I don't, I didn't see the incentives, but that's basically what he turned down. It always felt like it was really either going to be back to the Dodgers or to Texas all along. But just kind of like Rodon, another pitcher who, on a per inning basis, is still as good as ever. He actually had a career best swinging strike rate last season, which is saying something for a guaranteed first ballot Hall of Famer there. But 122 innings, 144 strikeouts, 355 ERA, 102 whip. It's another one kind of like Rodon, though, too. Do you count on more than 130, 140 innings? I doubt it, but I'm sure whatever you get is going to be awesome. So quick Dodgers-Giants discussion here, starting pitching. So the Giants, Logan Webb, Carlos Rodon, Anthony DiSclefani, Alex Wood, Alex Cobb. Pretty good. Dodgers, Bueller, Urias, Kershaw, Gonsolin Heaney with question marks on Trevor Bauer and Dustin May, right? Where where are we at here? Which one's which one do we trust more? Uh, I'm trusting the Dodgers. There's a little bit more uh, high end of the top. Mm-hmm. I think they have, they have uh, a better floor as far as depth goes uh, for what I'd expect one to five. Uh, but they they don't have the the uh, and that's not a knock on Logan Webb when I say they don't have the ho- same horses at the top. Uh, the Dodgers definitely have that, and I'm I'm fully convinced that at max Trevor Bauer misses one month at most. He misses one month. There's uh, you can't justify it for a guy who will take that all the way in and make this a public spectacle. So if baseball doesn't want that, uh, especially coming off of everything else, uh, you're you're you don't really have a choice. Uh, again, you can say that it it doesn't take criminal charges in order to do a suspension, but he also. Uh, essentially did that suspension, served it while the full investigative process went in. So he will have no stomach to stay quiet on anything that MLB chooses to do. He never does. Uh, so he, for him, he'd 
put a muzzle on things pretty well for last year. That's not going to be the case here. So I expect him to pitch. And again, I'm not trying to ignore any of the off the field stuff, just commenting only on the, when it comes to on field, he's an excellent pitcher. Uh, He's going to be uh, putting up those numbers again uh, this year. So I, so I, I'm actually counting on him more than maybe some others are uh, for saying the, 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 again, Max, I think he, he loses is April and he's back pitching the way you'd expect him to pitch. Yeah. And I think even without him, I still think you take the Dodgers rotation, but I also agree. I think Trevor Bauer's pitching soon and then that just lengthens their rotation even more. So then it's Heaney and Gonsolin until you know, Dustin May got hurt in May last year. Is he back by June, July? And if that, when we last saw Justin May pitching, he was, pitching as well as Julio Urias, who went on to win 20 games. He was dominating early in the year. So the Dodgers still are the cream of the crop pitching in that division. The Giants are still very, very good, but not the Dodgers. And so I think you're going to have another 1A, 1B. I, I, I don't see any reason why that doesn't go down to the wire again with those two teams. And then we'll, we'll see what happens with the Padres as far as that goes to a, a three-team race there. Uh, but let's talk about the National League uh, DH. Uh, with that being there, we have signings uh, that are now aligning with it. We already talked about how the DH will help uh, already from what teams already have, like Acuna with coming back from injury, a way to ease him in but still get that uh, potent back into the lineup. Uh, but the first DH signing, Nelson Cruz to the Washington Nationals. Uh, so we have the uh, the epitome of a DH uh, going to the National League. And let's also bring in together with that Andrew McCutcheon to the Milwaukee Brewers. Those would be the two biggest uh, uh, DH signings to this point. So did you see, is Nelson Cruz, it was a two-year I saw reported, but now it's a one-year 13. Is that what, did you see that? I thought I was seeing one one fifteen with mutual option okay. for a second year. Maybe there's an option. That's what I probably didn't see. So Cruz did show signs of slippage when he got traded to Tampa Bay, but I think as we saw with Willie Adamas, the trap can be kind of a hard place to hit. The, there are got some that are wondering. Eye. It's got the white roof, which makes it harder sometimes. I know people talk about that. So he actually goes back to the best offensive park we've seen for him probably since Baltimore, I think. Minnesota isn't that good of a park, and I think it's probably been Baltimore that we last saw him have this good of a year. You know, he's other than age. No one has a whole lot of concerns about Nelson Cruz. I'm not going to be the one that can bet against a 30 home run season. And if he has 30 home runs batting behind Juan Soto, hundred RBIs is guaranteed. I have to admit it was completely off the radar for, I think everybody, we heard Dodgers, we heard Padres and we'd heard actually Brewers. This kind of a rumor, but it's kind of a weird landing spot, but yeah, I'm not going to fade the guy for going to back to Washington. I think it's, it didn't make sense when I saw it. Cause I think the nationals think they're contending more than I think. I think they are. And you know, bully for them for, thinking that they're going to win. I, it's going to be kind of a push for them to catch up to the Mets and the Braves, but, hey, we talk about teams not going for it, and they're going for it, so good for them. McCutcheon, when I saw McCutcheon was talking to the Brewers, it was, I'm not going to lie, I was kind of disappointed in it. I was hoping for Nick Castellanos or Kyle Schwarber, and who knows, maybe, but uh, McCutcheon's definitely not the MVP player he was in Pittsburgh, but there's still talent here, especially against lefties. He had a 140 OPS plus versus lefties just last season. You mentioned I think he's primarily going to be the DH going forward, although I think they're going to try to rotate it among the outfielders. I think they want to get Lorenzo Kane off his feet a little bit more too, see if he can bounce back a little bit. I think McCutcheon can have a season pretty similar to what he had last year. Last year he had a 27 home runs with a 222 batting average. I think he can go 25 home runs, and I, I don't think he's a 222 hitter. I was looking at some of the stuff. I think he's probably 240, a 240, 240-ish hitter, throwing a handful of steals. It's it's playable. Uh, we didn't get an, I mentioned before we started, we haven't seen a number on that. I'd like to know what they paid him, but 
yeah, it, if the price is right, that that plays up to. I think it's one where I again because he can at least do uh, some time in the outfield. It allows you to rotate through and keep guys healthy while still keeping a, a good bat overall uh, in in the lineup. Again, what we're talking about now is good, not elite. Uh, his production versus lefties is still elite. Like that is there, and that's going to be a, a big marker for him uh, as far as impact with the Brewers. Now uh, he was he was putrid versus right-handers last year. I think that was too far low than what his overall will be. I think there's there's still upside to bring that back up where he can at least be solid versus righties and elite versus lefties. I think that's what you're looking at. Uh, someone who's not going to carry the team uh, versus right-handed hitting, but uh, someone who can still lengthen the lineup in, in various ways and provide a good veteran presence there. Uh, I think that that's, uh, that that's the positive signing. I think for Brewers offseason, you think of the Hunter Renfro trade. So now he's there. And then you think of uh, uh, McCutcheon. Those are two big bats to add uh, versus left-handed pitching. Uh, and I think that's a, a very a very good positive for the team. I didn't even mention this when we were doing the pregame. I actually have another signing that I forgot to mention. But because he crushes lefties. So Dodgers, out of like extremely quietly, signed Hanser Alberto, who might not sound like a lot, but the dude has an 8-15 career OPS lit versus lefties. And Gavin Lutz hasn't touched a left-handed bat in his life. Like He cannot touch a lefty. So that all but guarantees me that he will be a platoon mate with Gavin Lux, who is, I think, a career like sub 500 OPS against lefties. And quietly, you know, a team that makes splashy moves and we, I think is probably still the favorite to sign Freddie Freeman. That's the type of move that on the margins always works out for the Dodgers without any fanfare. So as we're talking about people that crush lefties, I want to get that one in there. Um, Oh, where should we go? How about to the White Sox? How's that work? Let's talk. The White Sox signed Joe Kelly to their already really, really good bullpen. Uh, Joe Kelly, 44 innings, 50 strikeouts, 15 walks, 286 ERA, .98 whip. So we currently sit here at, with the bullpen of the Chicago White Sox, sitting with closer Liam Hendricks, setup man Craig Kimbrell, who the further we go along, the further maybe he does stay there a while. Uh, Aaron Bummer is really good. Kendall Graveman, remember they put in a ton, they signed Kendall Graveman before it locked out the first time. Garrett Crochet. Joe Kelly, and you never know where they're going to do with Michael Kopech. So that's an impressive bullpen. Uh, it's Tony LaRusso's old school. I'm sure he loves having a bullpen like that. We'll see if it worked out. Craig Kimbrell is not necessarily super comfortable in the setup role last season, it seemed. But uh, I said the longer it goes on, maybe they do keep him here. And the other sign the White Sox made, I'll just do them both here, was one year, $5.5 for Josh Harrison. Good teams can never have enough of these type of players because of their versatility. I think he'll primarily play second base for the White Sox. Remember, they traded Nick Madrigal to the Cubs midseason, and then they tried to fill it with oh, Larry Garcia. But the he can also play third. Josh Harrison can play third. He can fill in at both corner outfield locations, where we know they have some defensive issues, which they don't really care about there, it seems like. Uh, but Josh Harrison is kind of the anti-White Sox player. He actually has really strong contact skills. And we know the White Sox just love to strike out a lot. So I think it's a good fit for a team that, you know, a team need with player skills. Uh, again, you have uh, uh, from the White Sox uh, uh, that that type of bullpen. Uh, it, it fits. Again, you need to align with also how your manager is going to uh, play it and call it. And uh, uh, this one definitely does. I Even though he said, he, uh, yep, uh, Kimbrell is here and they expect him to be a, a, a key player for What him. else is he going to say? That's exactly <laughs> it. I don't see how he's not traded uh, because also he was not comfortable uh, in the uh, the setup role. 
Uh, and this is a player especially, comfort level matters massively. Uh, we've seen that in his career. When he's fully comfortable, when he's there, he's a top five closer, like, guaranteed, and, and you have that. Uh, but when he's not, he's almost unplayable. Uh, and because you have such uh, high ends that way, I don't see a scenario where he stays. Unless, again, this is his own competitive edge saying he wants to prove he can. I mean, you can't, I guess, never say never, but that one just doesn't make sense to me. And it also makes sense you're building up the other arms where you can uh, trade him uh, if you want, and that bullpen is still a top-five bullpen in the, in the major league. So it, th- that says a lot. Uh, let's... Uh, so. Uh, we have bullpens and we got shortstops left. Where do you want let's to go? Do, let's keep up with the bullpens. Okay, bullpens. How about we go to Alex Colomay with the Rockies? So go back uh, a year ago. Listen to where I said how much I detest Alex Colomay when the Twins were going to turn to him instead of Taylor Rogers because Colomay is right-handed and Taylor Rogers is left-handed. And I was right for the first half of the season when Alex Colomay was awful. But then something about midseason changed when everybody else was starting to lose it a little bit. He was better and he earned 15 saves. I'm positive he'll be the primary closer in Colorado because the, otherwise it's Carlos Estevez and that's not going to happen. So, but this is a bad team and he, this is become, not a good environment for him. Well, I was going to ask, I, I'm trying to remember, did he, has he become more of a fly ball pitcher or a ground ball pitcher? I couldn't remember. I can pull that up. Because uh, if he is ground ball, okay, maybe that actually, you don't need the strikeouts. If you can keep the ball on, on the ground, uh, especially in, in Colorado, that that makes sense. But if he's a fly ball pitcher, and I just can't remember where he's at at this stage in his career, uh, then when you don't have the strikeout stuff and putting a fly ball pitcher in uh, uh, in, in Rockies uh, uh, Stadium, that's that's not a recipe for success. Fifty three percent ground ball rate, so that's that's pretty standard. That's he, he actually had a pretty maybe, low strand rate last year, but maybe slightly above uh, there within it. Where maybe. Maybe, but if you're gonna have a guy who's gonna who's not a strikeout guy, which means you're putting a ball in play, you got to be careful with the ballpark. Yeah, I it could go wrong in a hurry. Let's just say that. Uh, Mets, if we keep it to the bullpens, they signed Adam Adovino one year, four million. Adovino's now 36, and the skills are starting to climb. Those whips keep climbing up the last couple of seasons. He's throwing harder than ever last season, which is kind of weird, but I think he's also getting a little more wild. So that's why the whips climbing. Even still, he was effective enough. He he deserves this contract. I think once again, it's the Mets don't have the bullpen the White Sox do, but you know he's behind Edwin Diaz. He's behind Trevor May. He's behind Seth Lugo. So a little less leverage role. Adam Adovino can come in get three out. Do we, we keep the three out rule or the three batter rule? We yep. kept that one. Yep. Okay, face your three batters and get get through that. Uh, the other bullpen signing was Jake Diekman to the Red Sox. I just saw multi year. I didn't see that one. So. The thing I've always liked about Jake Deepman was he was a ground ball. We were talking about ground balls. He used to yep. induce them in, like, droves. But last season, that kind of went away a little more so than it should. And if you're headed from Fen- from Oakland to Fenway, you'd want a lot of ground balls because that's how you will do well at Fenway. But he still strikes out a lot of guys. There's a strong strikeout rate right there. Especially there's a, a lefty killer. Yeah. There's a lot of questions, though, with the Red Sox pitching staff as a whole just because they have mm-hmm. so many, like, weird – old guy arms mixed with young, high upside arms. So you got Rich Hill, who's old guy injured arm sometimes. You got Michael Waka, same thing. You got Nick Pavetta, who was just, remember, awesome down the stretch, but I have so hard times trusting Nick Pavetta with all we've seen of Nick Pavetta. You have James Paxton, who we all know his the, arm the issues. The definition of, uh, of IL uh, pitcher. And then you got the young guys, like, what are you going to do with Tanner Hawk? They say they're going to stretch him out. They have Garrett Whitlock, who is 
great in the bullpen last year, and they say maybe we're going to stretch him out. So there's a lot of question marks. Just where, how is this all going to fit together with Red Sox? But I think you know Jake Diekman should be in the bullpen, probably a multi-inning role. I think if there's going to be a closer, it's probably going to be either Garrett Whitlock or Matt Barnes. But there's there's still a lot of questions. That's a team that you know I'm going to be watching to see how they actually play up these spring training games. Uh, one more, I think one more bullpen arm is the Diamondbacks signed Ian Kennedy one year, two and a half million. So he used his really low BABIP last year with a really high strand light to have a 320 ERA and get 26 saves with the Rangers. And then when that corrects, his ERA will jump. Probably a good run. When he was traded from, remember he got traded midseason from Texas to Philly, and that's where the home run bug hit him pretty good. And then his ERA jumped already. Look, it's not a bad investment because it's a rebuilding team. If he's pitching decently, they move him at the deadline, right? It's a one-year contract. You say, we'll move you at the deadline. And if he's not pitching decently, it's a one-year contract, and you just eat it, I guess. There's one more that just uh, took place uh, uh, since we started uh, recording here, and that's uh, Colin McHugh has a new home with the Atlanta Braves. That's a good fit. So that's, that's a good uh, fit. That's a, that's is he, a good is he healthy? Wasn't he hurt at the end of last year? Uh, he was kind of wearing down a little bit, but he was still effective. Good. Uh, uh, so he for the most part, was was healthy, uh, and I think they have uh, 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 a bullpen that can handle uh, others doing things where they don't have to count on him as much. Uh, but you know, he is a, a multi-inning reliever, uh, and over that, I, I do like, uh, I do like the uh, uh, the signing for sure. Yeah, he, I thought saw, you know, he doesn't throw hard, but that doesn't always have to be throwing hard. Actually, I had one more bullpen arm here. I missed one. So Steve Ciszek signed a one-year deal with the Nationals. That's right. That is his eighth team showing how people who can do what he do can pitch for a long, long time. He also walks a few too many, but so the high whip, but it's still a good year. 68 innings, 342 ERA, but that 149 whip is high. That being said, right now, roster resource has Kyle Finnegan as a projected closer. I know I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Steve Ciszek, just because of his long history, finds his way into a double-digit saves. Yeah, and definitely with the, the veteran arm, uh, provides that that stability and an opportunity. So we'll see what happens there as the as time moves on. And we, and we have a couple. Oh, go ahead. We have one starting signing that I almost forgot to mention. Jordan Lyles, one year, five and a half million. The Baltimore Orioles. That is the Orioles' number two starter. Yeah, How's that? That, that, that pretty much tells you everything <laughs> you need to know right there. I I, I can't uh, be a salesman on that one. Sorry. I said, you know, that's not saying much. He's going to be behind John Means. I think we both like John Means, yep. but Lyles. Yep. Here's the problem. Jordan Lyles has always had a home run problem, and now he's going to play at Camden Yards. So Baltimore, it's it's going to be another rough year, guys. I'm sorry. I, I'd love to give There's you some, some fun players. Like, there, there are some fun, fun players, players coming. There. They're, they're coming. You have maybe uh, one more year, and then I think it might get interesting. From uh, uh, Cedric Mullins uh, to Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini's still there. Uh, and so how long before uh, Rutschman, Rutschman comes up? Grayson uh, Rodriguez is like the best pitching prospect in the minors. Like you, they're By com- the end of the year, uh, I, I I don't mean this. This can come across as an insult, but it's not. But by the end of the year, you may have hope, <laughs> and that actually is that is a positive thing because we it's been spinning wheels and a long rebuild for a while. By the end of the year, you could actually see light at the end of the tunnel, and I think that's the the positive that I think you could have to say. This is a team that does have uh, money to spend when they're motivated to spend. And so this is also my frustration that I'll get into later when it comes to uh, spending type things. Uh, but uh, like this is a team where Detroit started doing it, right? Uh, where, where Detroit is this offseason, uh, it would not surprise me if Baltimore is next offseason. 
So we'll wait. We'll wait and see. So there's a uh, be on the lookout. I don't have any Pittsburgh positives uh, though. Uh, so they signed Dan Vogelbach. I saw. We're not talking about Dan Vogelbach, <laughs> but I did see they signed him. I do have three uh, shortstop signings. So Andrelton Simmons was the first one, one year, four million with the Cubs. At this point, he's a complete non-factor on offense, but he's still a good defensive shortstop. And I guess that makes sense. Remember, they spent a lot of money on Marcus Stroman, so you want a good shortstop over there because that's what he does is gets ground balls galore. The Rockies signed Jose Iglesias to a one-year contract. Uh, He's another one who's usually considered defensive first, kind of like Simmons, but he's actually put together, I was actually surprised when I looked this up, some quietly effective offensive seasons. He's It's kind of unnoticed because he's bounced around teams so much, but 2019 with Cincinnati, he had 62 runs, 11 homers, 59 RBIs, 6 steals, and he hit 288. 2020 with Baltimore, that's that weird shortened year, but 16 runs, 3 homers, 24 RBIs, hit 373. And last year between LA and Boston, 65 runs, 9 homers, 48 RBIs, 5 steals, and he hit 271. You know, it's not, it's really not all that bad. And now he goes to the offensive park that generally boosts batting average. I'm not saying he's going to be tearing the world. He's not replacing Trevor Story, but that's competent. Like that, you take that. So. I think that was a decent signing. And then the last one, Nico Goodrum went on a one-year deal to Houston. Uh, once again, never a guy who's going to hit for a batting average because he strikes out and he can't. He really struggles for his righties. But when he does make contact, good things happen because he's got pretty good power and speed. He, he lets like 15-15 potentially. Oh, I think he had a 15-18 year once maybe, but... It's going to come with probably like a 230 average, I suppose. He could be a Carlos Correa replacement if they want to go that way, It's although it sounds like they're kind of back in on Carlos Correa. They're trying to at least maybe bring him back. There's some rumors that he's talking to them, and so we'll see. Otherwise, Nico Gudrum can play, I think, second, short, and third, and maybe even a little outfield in there. So kind of like Josh Harrison, maybe not the batting average player Josh Harrison is, but someone who on a good team has all that position versatility to help out. That wraps up the free agent signings. At this point, there will be by the by the next time we uh, we talk, there will be uh, considerable more to uh, to look at. Uh, but uh, when we come back, we're going to take a look at the the trades. This is where the 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 big moves have have come down. There's uh, number two starters uh, that have been uh, been traded. Some potential uh, uh, we'd call him an all star outfielder. I don't remember where he last. Uh, last left but uh considerable offensive potential there you have a, a new mvp candidate first baseman in uh, atlanta that's the biggest news of the day and contract we'll talk about that coming up next um. cut my egg your eggs are cut sir cut my milk i can't sir it's liquid imbecile Please, then cut it you bring me the wall street journal you too fight to the death you Your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima hula hoops and Pac-Man video games. Don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! As we get into the second half of, of the offseason, we will uh, next time have a chance to go uh, division by division. We'll recap the uh, 
and it'll be, it'll be a couple weeks yet, but when we come back, we'll recap the, the final part of uh, free agency and, and trades and uh, then look division by division at uh, uh, odds for contending this year. And just as a little preview, uh, Fangraphs has their uh, uh, playoff odds out, and Orioles fans, 0.2%. So you're saying there's a chance. Uh, there's still hope uh, there uh, within that uh, tongue-in-cheek, and we'll uh, uh, look at all those things coming up the next time uh, that we are back together in a couple of weeks and can break down the second half of the offseason and then go division by division as we get ready for the 2022 season. Biggest news of the offseason so far, biggest trade so far. Uh, it, this has been the, the, the worrisome. We knew the longer it went on, the, the less and less likely it was that Freddie Freeman was going to uh, remain uh, with the Atlanta Braves, and the Braves finally made that decision themselves uh, with a contract impasse. Uh, they moved on and traded for uh, the Oakland A's Matt Olson. Uh, and not only did they trade for him in a massive prospect deal that we'll talk about, uh, but they also signed him to an eight-year, $168 million contract, locking up uh, him as a part of their core uh, for the foreseeable future, they now have everyone signed. Like anyone that you consider part of their core is signed through at least the 2024 season. Uh, so this is the Braves' contending team uh, to look at for the foreseeable future. And it's a really good team, right? Like even they just won the World Series. So you got you know Elby's and Riley, Olson and Acuna. That's Swanson. That's a pretty good starting core just right there. Now that being said, you can say he replaces Freddie Freeman, but he doesn't like it's not Freddie Freeman is a Braves legend. So offensively, maybe he's 90%. He can probably replace the power production. He's never going to hit for the same average Freddie Freeman does. Uh, he goes from one of the worst hitters parks in baseball to one of the best. So yeah, he's never had official 40 home run season. He's had like a 39, 38 at all, but a given if he stays healthy, he will hit 40 home runs this year. I think that's all, but a given he hits so many fly balls that he's always going to have a low BABIP. So the two seventy one. Average from last year is probably about his peak. I think that that's probably the drop off is Freddie Two, Freeman's two fifty to two seventy. I think is yeah. where you see Olson uh, lying. In. And you know Freddie Freeman's a three twenty hitter. What do you want? Mm -hmm. like he can hit three twenty, three thirty. I think that's probably the difference. Now, I said it. It's not like Matt Olson's one of the best five first basemen in the game. Probably Freddie Freeman's one of the two best first basemen in the game. Probably at this point. So, it's certainly a good attempt to replace Freddie Freeman. It's just he's not Freddie Freeman and some clubhouse stuff in there. I will be, in, I'll be interested to see if like that shakes up a little bit. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, Abby Albia seems like a pretty cool dude and Ronald Acuna seems like a cool dude. So maybe it's nothing, but maybe it is something. We don't know that yet. Now you mentioned they had to trade off quite a bit to get Matt Olson. So Kristen Pache becomes Oakland's number three overall prospect. According to MLB, you may remember he started actually drafted him to that TGFBI team last year in the last round. Uh, he started the year in the big leagues last year. He's an elite defender who has like, upside probably to be a 2020 hitter but I think his career batting average at major league baseball is like 150 I think he'll start he'll probably be the only one we see start with the major league team this year until Ramon Noriano comes off his suspension remember he got suspended 80 games for PEDs toward the end of last season so I think he's still got 30 to 40 games left to serve on that uh, they also got Shea Langliers who's a catching prospect who I believe becomes Oakland's number two catching prospect according to MLB he was a top 10 pick just a couple years ago, but he was overshadowed. That was the Adley Rutschman draft that we just mentioned. So 
I think he's already kind of known for playing big league caliber defense, but probably will spend most of the season developing a triple A and they already have a pretty highly regarded catching player in Sean Murphy. So I, maybe he slides Sean Murphy can slide to first or something. I don't know. And then they got Ryan Cusick and Joey Estes. Honestly, they are two pitching prospects. I didn't know anything about him, but Ryan Cusick became Oakland's number seven prospect right away, and Joey Estes was 14. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good return. That's four top 14 prospects in their system now. So that's a very good return. Uh, Oakland has clearly shown they are now in the process of rebuilding here, and I think we both thought that was going to happen. We said this is a team that's getting older, and you go one of two ways. You return into mediocrity or you tear it down, and they have apparently decided to tear it down. And, and the – Excuse me. This team is not afraid of doing a full teardown, and they're not. You can already tell they're not going to have it. Uh, Matt Chapman will be traded in the coming days. Uh, whether it's Frankie Montas, Sean Manea, uh, you have these uh, pitchers uh, that are being looked at. They will go. Uh, they will full on tear this down and get the best prospects they can to reemerge with it with a new team. Uh, and it seems that's the direction that they're going. They already traded as we'll move into the uh, two pitchers that were uh, traded here that were again. Uh, top three arms, like like in a rotation, uh, there from uh, Chris Bassett uh, to the Mets and Sonny Gray uh, to the Twins. So Chris Bassett again from the A's uh, to the to the Mets as part of that uh, trade uh, deconstruction, and the other team that's looking to do similar or showing more more signs here that they're going to do more similar uh, is the Cincinnati Reds. These were the two teams uh, before the lockout happened that we said it looks like a teardown is coming. Now the question is is how much more? So we'll uh, deal with Chris Bassett, then into Sonny Gray, and then we'll go into the next uh, uh, Reds move. So Chris Bassett to the Mets, it's a one-year rental, basically. He's a free agent after this year, so it's a one-year rental. He got traded for JT Jin, who actually became the number six prospect in Oakland. So I didn't know a whole lot about him, but another pitching prospect. Bassett's someone that I've always kind of doubted because he outperforms his peripheral data so much. Uh the lower BABIPs, which means his XFIPs are usually like mid fours, but he'll pitch to a low three ERA. I guess. Remember, he took that wicked liner to the end at the end of last year, which cost him some time. But when he pitched another 157 innings, 159 Ks, 315 ERA, 106 whip, could he put up another mid threes ERA? At this point, I'm not going to doubt it. Which kind of like Nelson Cruz, you just keep doing it until you can't. So if a massive if this rotation is fully healthy, Amazing, like Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Carlos Carrasso, Chris Bassett, and Taiwan Walker. And I actually kind of really like Tyler McGill, but I think he'll now have to start in the minors. So if they're all healthy, great. It's just, are they going to be all healthy? Because DeGrom has already got issues. Max Scherzer's kind of old. Carlos Carrasco is not exactly a beacon of health. Chris Bassett is kind of old. And Taiwan Walker, I just said it, he's also got, he's got knee issues already. So that's the question here is how healthy really are they? If you go, sorry, sorry oh, go you off. No, go let's go. Sonny Gray to Minnesota for Chase Petty. Chase Petty was the first round pick two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. So he becomes the Reds number five prospect. Sonny Gray is what he is at this point. He did his usual battled his different various injuries last year, but when healthy, he's basically a mid three ZRA with a one, two whip. And last year the ERA was a bit higher, but it was a little unlucky. Being said, he's the de facto ace in Minnesota, I think. I think he'll be expected to be their ace on a team that I don't really get what they're doing. We'll get to them in a little bit. I'm not really sure what they're doing, but Sonny, like Sonny Gray is a good player. I'm just not sure that that's what they needed. The Twins are uh, an enigmatic, enigmatic, enigmatic. 
Can't An enigma? We'll go with that one. There you go. Uh, but the uh, interesting moves, they're, they're wanting to compete, but uh, but are are they? Like, if the, when you look at the moves, like, sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the at the same time, I... It, it emerged at that uh, they want to be, and we'll talk rumors at, at the end as we wrap up, but uh, uh, Trevor Story, uh, mm-hmm. they're now wanting to be serious competitors for him. Uh, and so where that makes a little bit more sense, you offloaded Josh Donaldson uh, and the, the next big trades. We'll, we'll stick with the, okay. the Twins here uh, for that party of Josh Donaldson to the uh, to the Yankees. And you have uh, Gary Sanchez uh, and, and company that I'll let you break down the rest of the the the, okay. uh, the move there. First, you have to get all the players to the Twins for this deal to make sense. So first, they traded Mitch Garver to Texas to get Isaiah Kainofalefa. So let's get to that one. So Isaiah Kainofalefa is actually a pretty good replacement for Andleton Simmons in that he's also really good average defensively. And Mitch Garver was expendable in Minnesota because they have a pretty highly regarded hitting catching prospect in Ryan Jeffers. So I thought it made sense. Garver, when he's healthy, let's talk Texas for a second. When healthy, Garver is one of the best offensive catchers in the game because he can hit the ball out of the park. So you can probably expect 20-plus homers with a useful batting average and great for Texas because now they have – that's another player as they keep getting better. Uh, but then – so Minnesota got Isaiah kind of left in the deal, and then the next day you mentioned they traded him and Josh Donaldson to the Yankees for Gary Sanchez and Gio Rosella. So Donaldson was actually healthy most of last season, which is – Pretty rare. But are we sure that Josh Donaldson's better than Gio Urshela? Because Josh Donaldson makes, like, I'll say probably he's better. But he makes $23 million per year and is six years older than Gio Urshela, who makes $6 million a year. I think when you include that, I'll take Gio Urshela over Josh Donaldson at this point. And Isaiah kind of Falefa probably steps into being the Yankees' shortstop. They have some very highly regarded shortstop prospects, including Anthony Volpe, who's probably a year away. But... Kiner Falefa fills in. They shift Glaber Torres back to second. LeMahieu moves to first. And Josh Donaldson plays third. And I guess Luke Voigt goes to the bench because they don't like him for whatever reason. It's so weird. I don't get it at all. Josh Donaldson's good, but I'm not sure. I said he's probably better for this year than Gio Rochella, but Gio Rochella's really good. Like, I think he's pretty good. So I like that move. Now, Gary Sanchez going back to Minnesota. I'm not 100% sure he's going to stay in Minnesota. It doesn't make... I said they cleared space by getting rid of Mitch Garver to bring in a worse version of Mitch Garver, which doesn't make any sense. And then, sure, you get... I think Gary Sanchez needs a... a, He needs a change of scenery. So I think getting out of Minnesota will probably be good for him. I think he could probably... I I know he's struggled to hit the Mendoza line. I think he's also more like a 230-ish hitter if... If he had a good year, I think he could get to that with his 20-ish, 25 home runs. But I don't know why he's on Minnesota at this point. Like, it makes so little sense to me that they moved Mitch Garver for basically a worse Mitch Garver, and then they traded Josh Donaldson for Gio Urshela. I'm not sure that they got better in either of those moves. I I would say even if it's a – if Gio Urshela can be most of what Josh Donaldson is and healthier, which, again, there's some questions there too, but the difference is $50 million. Uh, and now, and at least not from pocketing it, but it sounds like they want to go out and get someone like Trevor Story. If they're able to turn that move also into Trevor Story with it, it makes more sense. Uh, so I at least like the idea of it. I, I like what they're trying to do. We'll see if they can actually execute it. I just Even if they get Trevor Story, is this team competing against the White Sox? Because then, are they that good? Because I think starting the rest rotation. of the division is, is not, and I think this is them starting to... Starting rotation. Sonny Gray. 
Dylan Bundy, Bailey Ober, Joe Ryan, Randy Dobnak. I like Sonny Gray. I like Joe Ryan. Uh, I like Joe Ryan. Uh, uh, I like ba- Bailey Ober's like intriguing. He is not going to compete. You're not winning a division with that. I'm sorry. Dylan Bundy, yep, I almost got sucked in a couple years ago, but I still don't trust this. Randy Dobnak, no way. Like, Kenta Maeda comes back. Sure, maybe he comes back sometime, but I, I just think it's very strange. It makes very little sense for me what Minnesota's doing. I don't get what the Yankees are doing. I said, I'm not sure they actually got better. Maybe they did, but it's not a lot. We're going to have to see what the rest of the offseason holds for them to see if it makes any more sense or what other moves, if any, are yet to be done. Uh, what does make sense as far as a clear picture is the the Reds. Again, we talked about uh, Sonny Gray uh, being traded to the uh, to the Twins. Now it's uh, Jesse Winker and uh, Eugenio Suarez uh, going to the Mariners. Uh, and a package deal because Suarez is now, while it's not a bad, like a, like a very bad contract, uh, there's very little belief that he can be what he was two years ago. Uh, and so it became a package deal with Winker being the, the key piece there. And again, uh, if uh, could Suarez come close to replacing the same stats as Seeger, uh, who just retired? Yeah, yeah. I, actually, yeah, I think that's that's, that's definitely possible. So it makes sense there uh, with the defense still being solid at third and not trying to move them around at shortstop. <laughs> I said Cincinnati uh, dysfunction uh, took place there. It's a good change of scenery for Suarez. Uh, Winker adds an impact bat for them as well uh, with their movement and uh, their uh, uh, rebuild and, and and competition. And they were in it to the very end last year uh, when teams thought when they thought they'd be out of it. Let's see what they do yet this offseason, too. Yeah, I think Winker probably becomes the best bat in the Mariners lineup. He missed a couple seasons, months last year with that intercostal thing. But when he played incredible, 24 home runs, a 305 average in those 110 games, he just absolutely destroys right-handed pitching. And if he was even like average against lefties, he's an MVP candidate player. I'm going to go out and predict he has his first 30 home run season. I think he's going to do it. And so that's my prediction this year. Uh, Suarez... You mentioned the power for days, but the Mendoza line is where the batting average has been the last couple of years. 220, 30 homers. I think that's yeah, just put that down. Peak. You're gonna count you count on that, even though it's the worst ballpark. I think I can I think you can hit it out of Seattle too. 30 home runs. I think that's doable, but I, I forgot about the Kyle Seeger thing. That's a good call on your part. That he's basically just replaces what Kyle Seeger did for them last year. Uh going back to Cincinnati was Justin Dunn. Justin Dunn has like interesting skills, but We've seen three years of Justin Dunn, and now three years of Justin Dunn, he's missed the second half of the year with injuries. And when he has pitched, it's kind of the Robbie Ray thing. It's walk problems with fly balls, which makes it unlikely to be a good fit in Cincinnati, but I would have said that about Robbie Ray in Toronto. And if you figure it out, you figure it out. like Because he does. He strikes out over a batter in inning, kind of like Robbie Ray did. So it's it's an interesting arm. I wouldn't say it's a good arm. It's an interesting arm. It's not quite to the skill level that Robbie Ray ever showed before that. So we'll see. Uh, Jake Fraley went back. He just replaces Jesse Winker in the lineup. The huge walk rate is what is always expressive of him, but he also has extensive injury history and they got Brandon Williamson, who I don't know a lot about, but MLB has him as the Reds fourth rated prospect going forward. Is he the, the, the player to be named later? Uh, I don't believe so. I think there's another one yet, too. And it sounds like from what the rumor was within it, because people said this sounded very underwhelming uh, as a deal for Cincinnati, and and what came out was they really like the guy who's going to be named later, uh, that he's a key piece uh, to this. And if you want an example of that, not that it would be this caliber, but the Rays did that a number of years ago with Chris Archer. It ended up being Shane Boz. I was the player to be named later there. So if it's it's anyone that's more of a high upside, lower-level guy, 
Uh, I think is maybe someone from the draft. We have to wait long enough before that can be there. You know, maybe there's uh, something still yet coming in that regard. And the Mariners have a very, very deep farm system. So the Mariners have a lot to offer. This this will not be, you know, your really high-end Jared Kelmick's, your Julio Rod- which is the one weird part about this is they got Jesse Winker, which good for you. Go get your better players. But their outfield is where they have all these prospects coming. It's Jared Kelnick, it's Julio Rodriguez. And I was like, okay, well... Was that really the spot to invest? Not go get him. I don't know what Mitch Hanniger's contract looks like. Maybe he's up soon. So. I think he only has one more year left on his deal. And that's probably then where Julio Rodriguez steps in, I would guess. We'll uh, wrap up last five uh, five minutes with rants and rumors. Uh, so we'll take care of rants with this because we're talking about Oakland and uh, and Cincinnati with uh, the roster teardown. Uh, and immediately there's media members that were there saying how it looks like the, the CBA doesn't uh, stop tanking uh, within it. Again, if you would have asked me if I would have put money on which two teams still would after, at the CBA as soon as it ended or as soon as it started back up, uh, who would be the ones taking down? It's those two teams. That was already out there. So there's nothing new to this, and they weren't going to change course from where they already had started uh, within this. So that was everything that was coming. Uh, what What bothers me is that uh, you have that taking place, but then I hear nothing out of Freddie Freeman leaving the World Series uh, uh, winning uh, Braves. He did everything that you'd want a franchise player and icon to do, helped you just win a World Series, and there's no big contract coming for him. Uh, and I don't care that they gave $160 bucks to uh, to Matt Olson within it. Yes, great, they got a good player, they, they paid for him, they did that. This was your franchise guy. If anyone that you're going to give a big money contract to, and all the time that the media is going to come out and say, well, this sounds like a shrewd move, smart move, uh, what a way to keep com- uh, competitive uh, in the process. They'll say all those things, but if Oakland or Cincinnati had done that, it would be uh, the exact opposite. Uh, and at least from the Oakland standpoint, this is a team that has competed and, and gone to the playoffs many times. They've retooled many times, and they've been able to do that successfully. So you can't really disparage that organization as far as their quote-unquote commitment to winning. Uh, I would bash the, the Braves more for not keeping Freddie Freeman that you had there coming off of World Series year and World Series revenue more than I would Oakland for now doing this teardown within it. So what I'm tired of is the, the hypocrisy of media that bashes small market teams uh, but then doesn't has a different standard for big market teams. Mookie Betts, all of a sudden Boston could not afford to keep an MVP caliber player in his prime on that team. They have resources for days. There's no excuse to trade him uh, to the to the Dodgers. And what do they really get out of that? Alex Verdugo is a solid player. He'll never be anywhere near what Mookie Betts was. Why do you give up on MVP caliber talent with those type of resources other than being cheap? And so it's the same thing with the Atlanta Braves. You have the resources from everything, from the new stadium deal, all the new revenues, the World Series revenues that came within it. You could afford to keep him. Uh, so, and, and, and fine, you can make those moves. It's not that I'm actually against the move. Is it a good baseball move as far as a production going from Olsen and that guaranteed for eight years and over a better uh, ages uh, for the player versus keeping Freddie Freeman, you can make that argument, and I'm fine with it. What I'm not fine with is the hypocrisy of it being fine for one organization, but you put them to a different organization, and suddenly your opinion is different. Be consistent in your approach and stop bashing small market franchises for what big market teams do all the time. That's that's why the big market teams get the small market teams uh, GMs all the time. That's what that's what we see happening is that they learn that that's why the small market teams keep competing. 
Let's uh, finish with uh, with rumors. Uh, speaking of Freeman, uh, the now latest is that the Blue Jays are more thinking they're more likely coming from Ken Rosenthal, more likely to get Kyle Schwarber than it is Freddie Freeman. Can you uh, imagine? My goodness, either one of those guys. That lineup is just going to be absurd. Even either one of those guys, you put it with Teoscar and Vlad and Bichette and oh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Kevin Biggio, George Springer. Like, what a lineup. Uh, where do you think Freeman ends up? If he was going to be a Dodger, wouldn't it have happened by now? Uh, that's one of the teams interested, but like, what's the what's the holdup there? It isn't like they're trying to figure out ways of squeezing more pennies out of the uh, the couch cushions. I don't know what the holdup is. But I thought Freddie Freeman would be the one of the first people we'd see signed with someone, and so I, I'm surprised that he hasn't signed yet. That Yankees do not believe. That I don't think they're in I don't on think that. He's going to. I think it's. I still think it's the Dodgers. I think that's that's my guess. Is it still ends up being a Dodger? He's from out there. I know there's some talk about L.A. Uh, excuse me, the Padres. But I, if I'm a betting man, I'll still say the the Dodgers, which pushes Max Muncy played first base. I saw in a simulated game, which is great news for them. Love Max Muncy, so that's good news that he's healthy. I don't. I guess he could play DH. Uh, <laughs> the Dodgers would put up some ridiculous lineup of like Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Max Muncy could play second, I suppose. Again, Gavin Lux could go back to the bench. Justin Turner, you know, some just absolutely Mookie ridiculous Betts. lineup. Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger. What do we got? I mean, it's six MVPs on the roster. Then seven. I don't. Remember. It'd be something absurd like that. But could he? You know, could he pull a fast one on us and say? Texas seems like they're willing to spend. Maybe he goes to Texas. I don't know. At this point, the longer it waits, the more weird things could happen with this. And enough reporters have said uh, the, the Tampa Bay Rays are lurking in the background on that one. It's hard for me to believe based upon uh, precedents, but could they possibly do it? Uh, maybe. Would that make my offseason 100%? Could be a good uh, fit. I, I would very much love to see that. Uh, last so you mentioned, hold on. So you mentioned that they were second in the Matt Olson bidding? They were. I would love to, to know what they offered. But, I would uh, love to know the, what they a offered. A lot have been that. saying that Buster only reported that the Rays finished second uh, to him. They know that they have to compete at a, again, you have a 100 win, uh, coming off 100 win season. Uh, it's hard to go from good to great. Uh, and so that means only elite talent. Uh, and so that's going to be a harder one to uh, uh, to figure out. They talk about maybe with Matt Chapman, uh, the Japanese outfielder, uh, being talked about there. Uh, we'll see what what happens. I think he is the likely one to the Padres more than Freddie Freeman. I think he's going to the Giants. So uh, there's there's some interesting uh, rumors yet to go. Chris Bryant to being talked about with the Colorado Rockies. Uh, I actually like the offensive fit. Uh, Albert Pujols, uh, Do- uh, Dodgers. Uh, Rockies and Cardinals are the three teams who either have the feel-good return, uh, but put him in Colorado. Please give me that ballpark with Albert Pujols yet here. I would love to see one year there, even at his age and level now, I would love to see what he could do in Colorado for one uh, one sw- swan song season. I think I think Colorado's going to make I, – I, I still think Chris Bryant goes to Seattle. Uh, that's my still my prediction on Chris Bryant. I think Pujols and Jack Peterson go to Colorado. That's Could my interesting. guess. We'll find out when we come back next in a couple of weeks. We'll break down the, the last half of the, the signings and trades uh, and look at uh, starting our division-by-division approach of getting ready for the 2022 season. Baseball is back, and so are we. We look forward to an excellent season. See you next time. Take care. 